Come on in, come on in, it's time to start. We're going to praise God tonight with the opening of our song. It's going to be Awesome God. All right. Our God. Father, thank you for this blessed day you've given to us. Thank you for this time we have to worship and glorify you and to hear your word. We thank you, Father, for all the blessings we have received. We pray this evening, Father, for all those that are sick and suffering, for all those that are struggling with disease and with trials and tribulations, Father, we pray that you would put your hand on those that need healing and give them healing, Father. Pray that you'd give, their, give them comfort. We pray that uh, you would be with those that are struggling with doubt and fear, help them to become stronger. Pray that you'd be with each one of us, that we would be able to reach out and help them as well. Be with us this evening as we go through this worship, Father, we pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Before Mike Wall brings us our communion, helps us through the communion, we're going to sing Lamb of God. Your
When the Lord celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples, Luke tells us that he gave thanks and prayed, do this in remembrance of me. As part of this remembrance, let's remember that he gave thanks in the face of the ordeal of a lifetime. He gave thanks knowing that within hours, his faith would be tested beyond even his own imagination knowing that literally the entire world would turn its back on him, save maybe his mother and a small handful of believers. While he suffered the most extreme physical and psychological pain imaginable for them, his betrayer, his deserters, and his tormentors alike, and yes, for you and I. Do this in remembrance of me means, at least in part to me, to remember how he endured as an example to each one of us. Remember that our most difficult times in life may lie ahead of us. Maybe this very day or this week. But we have an example of his faith and endurance to follow. We know that as a reward for his endurance, he was soon glorified by the Father himself in his resurrection by angels and by those who had so recently deserted him. By the end of his ordeal, just a few days later, he would sup with them again as he showed them wounds from the fist, the whip, the thorns, the nails, and the spear he had overcome by his faith. Let us pray. Father, as we partake of this bread, help us to do as he commanded, to do it in remembrance of him. Not just his sacrifice, but his attitude and everything that he did, not just in those three days, but during his entire life to make all that possible. Father, please help us to to remember his faith, to remember his faithfulness, to remember his endurance as we partake of this bread. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's continue our prayer. Lord, we know that after they took the bread, he took the cup and said, cup was the blood of a new covenant. Father, help us to to have a remembrance of what that means. The, The new covenant between us and you, the covenant that would guarantee our eternal life in exchange for his life. Lord, help us to live lives worthy of that sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. as we prepare to make an offering remember the boxes on the back wall um, where we can drop our our money or check let's say a prayer for that gift Lord you are so generous and you're so good to us you bless us in ways that we don't even know about and certainly in so many ways that we do we just take a a moment to think about every blessing that we have from you. Lord, anything that we can give back, 
just seems almost trivial in the face of all of your generosity. But Father, help us to, to have a generous spirit like yours as we give to support the work of this congregation, outreach to the community, outreach to the world with, with your gospel and the ability to, to help one another who may have financial need. Lord, thank you for all your blessings. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know God is so good when he talked about God as being good. And the song is God is so good. Because so, I picked these out when you weren't even around. All right. So let's raise our voice to the Heavenly Father and praise him for being so good. God. Good evening, North Brevard. Good to be with you all. That picture did not come out like I thought it would. <laughs> uh, that's all right. Sometimes things don't go as planned. Um, and I think Romans 7 is a chapter that speaks to that. I think Romans 7 is a chapter that kind of explains that even though there are laws in this world, <laughs> a law of God, a law of sin, Things definitely don't always go the way that you think they will. And, uh, you know, that's one thing that um, I really love about Romans chapter 7. And I have been uh, really wrestling with this concept that Paul presents in Romans. And if, if you don't read the context, which really is chapters 6 through 8, right? They kind of all go together. Uh, if you only read chapter 7... and you read nothing else in the scripture, you would be very confused by what Paul is saying. <laughs> uh, and so I wanted to kind of just break down what it is that he's really getting at uh, in Romans chapter 7 and why he talks about the law and sin and the fact that there is almost like a relationship between the two. Um, and so we're going to go ahead and get into that. So I just want to read the first verse to start off. Romans 7, 1 says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives, right? Which makes sense, uh, because if somebody commits a crime, let's say even you know, in today's standard, like if somebody committed a crime and then they ended up passing away, but it was found out that they committed that crime, you don't prosecute the person that's gone for finding out they had committed a crime after they're long gone, right? You, it's not binding anymore, right? And so he's opening up this chapter and talking about law and sin and everything else, and he's letting them know right away that once you have come to Christ, there's a different law. The God's, God's law doesn't change, but you're no longer under the old written code. 
You're under a new way, Paul says, a new way of the Spirit. Right? He says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. Right? So because of what Christ did, because he fulfilled the old written code, and because he became that Lamb of God that we just sang about, that precious Lamb of God, that only by the blood of the spotless Lamb could we truly be separated in a way of speaking from our sin. Right? So let's go ahead and read the rest of this, this, though. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. And you're like, you know, it was at this moment, the first time I ever read through Romans 7 as a young Christian that I was really confused. <laughs> I was like, hold on, hold on. The law of God is, the, is, is arousing within my members the, the sin that bears fruit for death? That's confusing, Paul, right? And I, I, and I, and I set my mind to try and understand what it is that he's saying, right? He's saying, for while we were living in the flesh, Right? It's that while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions were aroused by the law and were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Right? And so he says, but now we are released from that law right? because we've died to it. We have died to that which held us captive. So the law of God, which is good, which is holy, which is righteous, as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 3, it is good, it is holy, it is righteous, it is the word of God, it is the law of God. It is perfect in all of its ways, because it is God's, right? But he also says that it's the same thing that held us captive, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code, right? And he says also in chapter 3 that it is by the law, right? By the law is the knowledge of sin, right? That's how we come to find out what it is, right? That is sin, when I was a young Christian, I had a hard time understanding that, right? When I first started uh, coming to church here, I always thought, like, you know, I'm, pretty, I'm a pretty good person, I think. You know, like, I try not to do the wrong thing. You know, I want to do things that my parents would be proud of, things like that. Like, I, I try to be a good person, I feel like. Okay, and this is, this was my understanding, right, was that, if I'm pretty good, and this was before I knew anything about God, this was when I had first started coming to church, I was like, if I'm pretty good, I'll be all right. You know? And by the way, that's the thought process of a lot of people in the world who never come to Christ, which is I try to be a good person, and so I think God's going to accept me because I try to be good. Right? Okay? And so somebody sat me down in an office in the back that... Um, May or may not have looked like a storage unit at times. Uh, uh, it's a lot easier to get those jabs in when he's not here. Um, but he sat me down in his office, and I had had these questions, right? And he, he was going through a sermon, actually, that was on the Ten, Ten Commandments. He just so happened to be. Right? And he's like, so you think you're pretty good, huh? Like, yeah, I think I'm pretty good. I try pretty hard, man. Uh, I hadn't made a decision to be baptized or anything at this point, right? And he says, well, let's just go through the Ten Commandments and see what you think after that. I was like, okay, we can do that. So before we go there, I just want to point out in Romans 7, 7, what then shall we say? He says, the law, that the law is sin? Well, by no means. Of course the law is not sin, because the law is from God. This is the opposite of that, right? So by no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Right? So if, if I never would have read, Paul's saying, if I never would have read in the law that it says you shall not covet, then I wouldn't have go, had to go and figure out what is it to covet. 
And then once I found out what it is to covet, then within my sinful flesh, as he talks about, what is aroused in him, he says, what is aroused in my flesh, in my members, is the desire to go then and do what? Covet. Right? Okay? So you can imagine how me as a young Christian is very confusing. Okay? But then we started to go through the Ten Commandments. And here I am, I'm thinking like, you know, I'm pretty good. I try pretty hard. You shall have no other gods before me. And I was like, well, I don't. I don't even go to church, so I don't think I have any other gods in my life, right? Uh, and they kind of, he, he kind of like just glossed over that one. That was probably a little bit too deep for me to understand that I had made myself my own God, right? Okay, so, but regardless, I was like, nah, I'm good on that one. You shall not make a, for yourself a carved image, right? This is worshiping idols, right? An image in heaven or of the earth below or of the sea, right? Or of the water. No images. I was like, all right, I haven't done that. I think I'm good on that. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Okay. You said this is just 10? Yeah, there's, there's 400 and some odd more of those. How long's God's law? Very long. And by the way, if you're guilty of one part of the law, he says you're guilty of the whole law. I said, all right, well, I've definitely used God's name as an exclamation point before. I have definitely taken the Lord's name in vain. So, all right, one out of 400 and some odd ones, that's not bad, right? And I don't even know the rest of those. I'm just looking at these 10. And I'm like, all right, so far, one out of three, okay, I'm doing all right. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I said, what's that? I don't even know what the Sabbath is. He's like, well, we worship on Sunday. We worship on Sabbath, to keep it holy. I was like, well, I don't go to church, so I, nope, all right. It's not looking good. That's two out of four so far. I, yeah, that's not looking good. Honor your father and your mother. Okay. You're saying this is just the ten big ones? You said this is just the ten big ones? Oh, that's not looking good for me. Honor your father and mother. No, I haven't done that. Okay, these I'm pretty good on. You shall not murder. Definitely haven't done that. You shall not commit adultery. Definitely haven't done that. You shall not steal. Well, there was this one time when I was a little kid and I didn't understand that you had to actually pay for the magazines at the Tycho Museum, and uh, I, I took that home. My dad actually made, took me back up there, made me, go, <laughs> made me go in there and say, I'm sorry, I stole this from you, uh, which was good. It was a good lesson for me. I never stole anything after that. Does that count? I guess kind of. Uh, you, shall not, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. I've done that. And of course, the last one, and I think it's so interesting that Paul uses the last of the Ten Commandments, you shall not covet, right? To be his example of what the law can do, right? Not only is the law good and holy and righteous, right? And if you could live perfectly by it, it could save you. If you could live perfectly by it. If you could not break any of God's laws, let alone the Big Ten, and I just showed you, I failed a lot of those. I was guilty of the whole law probably seven times over. And so I'm starting to think, well, what can I even do then? Well, what can I even do? Because you're telling me that God's law, which is this good, holy, righteous, perfect thing, is now giving me the knowledge of what sin is, but then my flesh, my sinful flesh, right, my, my nature that has been corrupted by sin, is going to then desire those things? Well, how can I ever really separate myself? And then he goes on, okay? It doesn't sound much better. It will at the end, trust me. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means, he says. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin, right? And we, we know, we have the knowledge now, and I didn't at the time, but we have the knowledge now. We've, we have been bought with a price, but, but the price wasn't sin. The price was the blood of the Lamb. Right? So, but we know that the law is spiritual, and, and we certainly do. 
Because what Jesus does is he says, you know, it's not good enough to just not murder somebody. He said, there's a lot of things that go into before you take that action. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, but I tell you, don't even be angry with your brother. And that, church, is one of the reasons why I did this sermon. Because anger is one of the things that I struggle with. Anger is that one thing that the law of God, and I know what God's word says, and I know that God's word tells me that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I don't want to be angry. I don't want to get angry, right? I don't ever want to get to that point. But the reality is that at times, just like Paul is saying here, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, which is to not get angry. <laughs> in certain situations, right? But I do the very thing that I hate. And I get angry, right? In these situations where I know I shouldn't. Verse 16, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. This is it's getting clear as mud now. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in, within me. Now, he says the exact same thing again at the end, and I want you to see that, right? For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Before I go there, let me continue reading. For I, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. This is Paul saying this. So as a young Christian, it made me feel better because he did write most of the New Testament. It made me feel a lot better knowing that even Paul is somebody who understands what the struggle of sin is, who understands the struggle of wanting so badly, having that desire, truly having the desire within you to change something, right? The truly having the desire to no longer allow that anger to control you. Because I read what, what happened with Cain and Abel, and it wasn't just as simple as Cain didn't like his brother, so he killed him. God came to Cain and told him, listen, Cain, anger, sin, is crouching at your door. Its desire, its desire, sin's desire is to master you, to control you. But you have to overcome it. Right? And I thought about how at that time, Cain didn't necessarily have the spirit of God, but how blessed are we? That today, not only... Does sin find a way to dwell in sinful flesh? But the Spirit of God now dwells inside of me as well. And it makes so much more sense. It starts to make more sense why Paul talks about how there is a struggle between the flesh and the Spirit. And that these two things are opposed to one another. To prevent you, he says, from doing the things you know you ought to do or that you want to do. And here he is, he's breaking it down on an even deeper level with the law and with sin. That the relationship that they have as well. For I know that I, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer... It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now, if you didn't understand the context of chapter 6 through 8, you would think that Paul is giving you license. It's not you. It's the sin that dwells in you. It's not your fault. Right? But that would be to ignore Romans chapter 6, which says, which says do we go on sinning? Do we continue to sin? Do we continue to have a lifestyle of sin so that grace may abound? But in Romans 7, 21 through 23, he says, so I find it to be a law. This is a different law now. There's a law of God that has been talked about. There's a law of sin that has been talked about. This is another law. I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Okay, 
This is Paul saying that. We know Paul's got the Spirit. Okay? And we also know that he is saying that sin dwells in flesh. That's why he says, there's nothing good in my flesh, in that fleshly, natural man side of myself, who is predisposed, by the way, not to seek God anymore. We're predisposed to wander from God, right? And then you have all of the things that go on in the environment around us, right? In the world around us, you have all the different people who are the smartest people of the day telling you things completely opposite of what God's Word does, right? And so now you're going through life and you're like, what is it? <laughs> There's a law of God. There's a law of sin. And what Paul talks about right here is that there is a law of temptation as well. I find it to be a law that when I want to do that which is right, when I want to make the changes, when I want to be different, right? When I no longer want to allow my anger to control me or I no longer want to allow myself to be tempted to just take that little item and sneak on out of the store because I know no one will see me. There's a law of temptation as well. Now, Paul says in another place that there's no temptation that you have ever been tempted with that is not common to man. So you can take comfort in that, knowing that you're not alone <laughs> and you're not the only one. Right? And that was so comforting for me to know that I wasn't the only one. But Paul says, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And if you didn't read anything else, <laughs> okay, if you didn't read anything else, you didn't read any of the other contexts, and you get to this point and you're thinking, nobody, Paul, nobody. Why? Because you, you're going to struggle with this, these laws that are going on and swirling around. You're going to struggle with those forever. How can somebody possibly deliver you from that? which is why I have to bring up Romans chapter 6 in the first four verses to keep it in context. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in a scene? That's what he's saying. While we were living in the flesh, while we were living in our sin, we don't live there anymore. Right? Christ has removed us from that place. He has moved us from death to life, from darkness to light. Right? He's moved us from that. Now we can choose it. We can go back and choose it again, right? We can choose the thing that God's trying to separate from us. We can go and seek out the thing that we know we shouldn't want. It's possible, <laughs> right? But he says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So we have this hope, right? We have this hope that God has given us through baptism to understand, okay, that it's not, it, it's not just, like, like Peter says, a removal of dirt from the body, right? It's not just getting in the water and getting physically cleaned off. Because just as the law is not just physical, it's spiritual, baptism is not just physical, it's spiritual. There's a spiritual act that's going on there, right? The fact that the water is representative of what is cleansing you, right? Being washed in what? Not really water, but the blood of Christ. To have those robes which have been stained by the deceitfulness of the law of sin and to have them cleansed to have them purified, to have them made white. And there's no other way to do it. That was, how, that was what I had to accept and understand. It doesn't matter how, how, how hard I try on my own to be a good person. I still dwell in sinful flesh. I have to have the blood of Jesus Christ. I have to have Jesus Christ in my life. You see, and Paul says, thanks be to God in Romans 7, right at the very end, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Because the flesh will always be tempted. It will always be tempted. It doesn't mean that you have to submit to it, because what Christ tells you is to submit to Him. Right? It's not that you have to submit again to that law because we now submit to the law of Christ, right? But the law of Christ has broken the power of sin 
and the effectiveness of temptation. It's given us the ability to say that I know why these things are happening, because I am trying to do what is good, so evil which lies close at hand is trying to take me away from the path that God is setting me on. And the easiest way for him to do that for me is with anger. That's the temptation for me. And he and has fulfilled the law of God on our behalf. And yet, right? And yet, it has the appearance as though we are fighting a losing battle, right? And I love this painting. I don't know if you guys know what this painting is. This is a painting that's in the Louvre. The name of the painting's Checkmate. Um, it's probably kind of hard for you to see, kind of. Didn't come out as good as I'd like. It looks real good on this small monitor. Um, so what's going on in the painting, right, is they're having a chess match. And this is the devil on this side, obviously. He's being depicted as the devil, right? And he's got, you can almost see that he's like grinning with his eyes, if that makes sense, right? He really thinks he's, he's, he's got this guy in a bad spot. And you see how he's laid on his head, you know, his hand on his head, just absolutely dismayed, right? Now here's what's interesting. This is a really cool story. There was, um, there was a, a group that was being given the tour, right, through the Louvre, and in that group there happened to be a world champion in chess. Multi-world champion, had won multiple world championships in chess, right? And they get to this painting, which is called Checkmate, and the understanding of this painting is that it has always been that the devil has this man in checkmate, right? That's why he looks dismayed like he does. Okay, now here's what's interesting is, as the guy comes to this painting, the group leaves, and he stays there. <laughs> and he's just examining this painting, right? So the tour guide comes back and he says, hey man, you know, there's a whole lot of other stuff to see in the Louvre besides this one painting, you know? Uh, maybe you want to come and join the group. And he's like, you know, I got to tell you that there's something wrong with this painting. He said, what do you mean? That's definitely the original painting. He's like, no, that's not what I mean. He says, the name is Checkmate. He says, but there's a problem with that. They're either going to have to, cha they're going to, have to change the name of the painting, or they're going to have to change the painting itself. He said, why is that? He said, because if you look at the board, the king's got one more move. King still has one more move. You know, when I think about how in the struggle that I've had, right, with my own sin, with my anger, and it getting the better of me, I have gotten to that point many times where I am this guy. And in this chess match of flesh and spirit and law and sin and all of this that I go through, I can't help but feel dismayed at times. I can't help but feel like the guy in this painting that looking at the chessboard, I can't see the move. I can't see it myself. I can't see the way out. And Paul says there's a way out of every temptation. God provides a way of escape every time. And it's no different in this painting. You see, the devil, the reason why he's smirking and grinning is because he does think he's got this guy in checkmate. But the funny part is, is that in one move, in one move, this guy who's dismayed over here could put him in checkmate. And what I love about it is that it couldn't be more true. The king of kings still has one more move. And as much as it may make us feel at times because maybe we struggle with things longer than um, we really think we should. Uh, maybe we still have things that we've struggled with since we were young that we feel like we should be moved on from by now. The devil has a funny way of making you feel like you're not good enough. Okay, but he is crafty and he is deceitful and he doesn't want you to know that what Jesus Christ does for us is what he did for Joshua in the Old Testament in Zechariah. That as Joshua is standing there, the high priest-to-be is standing there before God, the devil is standing next to him, accusing him, and saying, these are all of the reasons why. These are all the reasons why he is defiled, he is dirty. 
that he's not good enough. And what I love is God's response. Because it's the opportunity he gives all of us in Christ. And he says, I've plucked this one from the fire. This is a brand plucked from the fire. And you can't take them from my hand. It's no different for us today on this side of the cross. That what Jesus Christ has done for us is he's let us know that there's one more move. That even though it seems as though he's got the world in check, the king has always had him in checkmate. And the funny part about it is, before they even started the game, God has had him in checkmate. From the moment God said, let there be light, and he spoke this world and everything we know into existence over the course of six days, God had already put the devil in checkmate. And see, he doesn't want you to know that. The devil doesn't want you to know that he's already been put in check. The devil doesn't want you to know that he doesn't, he doesn't have any power unless you give it to him. He doesn't want you to know that. He doesn't want you to know that the, the only person that stands in the way of you in heaven is you. And Jesus Christ has already said, I've died for you. You just have to choose me. So I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you're at in your walk. I don't know where you're at in your struggle, right? Because truth be told, it is a struggle, which is why Christ tells us that his burden is easy and it is light. But it doesn't mean that it's not a struggle. <laughs> it's just not as hard when you have Christ walking with you. So the question tonight is, if you've made that decision, do you understand that the king still has one more move? Which means that that thing you've struggled with for a long time, it doesn't mean that he can't help you overcome that at any given point in time. The king still has one more move. And for those of us that maybe haven't made that decision, maybe we haven't made that choice, maybe we haven't decided, right, to be baptized into the death of Christ, that we may walk in newness of life. But if we are willing to give Christ a chance, he is willing to pluck us from the fire. Where are you at this evening? Won't you come all together? We stand and we sing. Jesus' name. All hail.
Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it. Appreciate each of you being here. Uh, just a few reminders before we close. Uh, this Thursday, February 22nd, will be a senior game day here at the building. It's from 10 to 12 a.m. and it's followed by lunch. Have an update on some of our six, especially some procedures that are happening this week. Mitzi Robinson uh, will be having her fluid drained from both of her lungs tomorrow and uh, they'll be replacing the drain. Uh, on Tuesday, they will start her new radiation regimen and uh, also work to change her, raise her low, right now, low red blood count. Gail Griffin will have a scan tomorrow down in Vieira for the tumor on her parathyroid. The Turners and White ask us to pray for a couple people. Uh, first of all, I'm going to mention Boris Rodinsky Jr. He's a 10-year-old. He has cancer. He's had it for a long time. He's uh, getting very depressed and giving up. It's a very rare form of cancer. Please pray for him. He also asked for a childhood friend, uh, Bruce Cease, who has uh, an enlarged spleen as in, in severe pain. Please pray for both of those. Kitty Walters asked for prayers for her sister-in-law's daughter, Tina Hadley. Tina is in the hospital after suffering a heart attack and a stroke, and she's in a very dire situation. Please pray for her. Steve Sharp is still in the hospital. He's been there some time now. Uh, he would love to have some visitors. And tomorrow uh, we are having the celebration of life for Tommy Massey. That's at 10 o'clock. There will be a meal to follow. Uh, please come to that if you can. Thank you. After this song, Chris Doris will come up and give us our closing prayer. We're going to sing, I just came to praise the Lord. Begin. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for all the many rich gifts in our life because we know all good things come from Thee. We give thanks for the rain that we've had the last couple of days. It's gentle and refreshing and we need the rain. Keep us safe as we go our separate ways so that we can return again to the next point of time. We ask that you please be with those that were mentioned earlier. Please give them comfort, give them much rest as possible. Please help them through this ordeal and improve their health and their, and their life as, as best that your will will allow. Please be with us, help us to stand up against those evil things out in the world that try to knock us down 
Thank you for the word that we've heard here this evening. Help it to help us to prove it for ourselves and to apply it to our lives, to govern our lives by, so that we can be a good example to those around us. Help us to be able to put out a, a helping hand to those around us that may need assistance. All this we pray in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>